0: Last week, in episode 27, we met our men's Premier League coach, Lachlan Anderson. This week, Liv Bell joins our hosting crew to present our women's Premier League coaching team, Jeff Perryman and David Wandsborough. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. 2020 was to be a transformational year for our women's Premier League group. We had some personnel moving on others in Perth with the national programme, young players pushing for selection and a new coaching team. Coach Jeff Perryman, as you'll hear, has extensive experience coaching Waverley and Hawthorne Women's Premier League and securing no less than nine premierships with the Coffield Grammar Girls. Wansie needs little introduction to our hockey listeners. He's previously coached our men's Premier League and many junior club and state teams. Keep listening to hear about our coaches' careers, how they managed the challenges of 2020 and kept the group connected, and how they see season 2021 developing. Here's Liv.
1: Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. So I am Liv, and today I'm super excited to be here with both David Wonsborough and Jeff Perryman. Um, So I'm sure many of you know who they are. And just to set the scene, I am currently looking at David wearing a Richmond scarf after last night's win. And Jeff is rocking a bit of an ISO beard. So um, if you've forgotten what they look like, what they're interested in, that should hopefully give you a bit of an idea. Um, But yeah, I'm sure many of you know who they are already. But just to give you a bit of background, they're both very involved in Camberwell Hockey Club. They have very extensive playing careers and very extensive coaching careers, which we will dive into in this podcast. And really fortunately for the women's section this year, they were actually appointed our Premier League coaches. But quite unfortunately for the women's section and the whole club, obviously we are still waiting to play our first game with them as coaches, Um, but we are super excited. So today we're just going to learn a bit more about them. And just to give an overview, uh, the sort of areas we'll be covering is just a bit of their time in lockdown. Um, I know everybody is probably a bit over talking about coronavirus, so we'll make that quick. But uh, also playing and training in 2020 while we had it. Some of the challenges they've had, like I mentioned, a bit more of their coaching career and then we'll finish off talking about um, next year, which should be really exciting because, of course, that's what we're all looking forward to uh, getting into next. So, welcome, Jeff and Onesie. It's great to have you here.
2: Thanks, Liv. Thanks, Liv. Um, yeah, I think we're both, Jeff and I, are both um, yeah, uh, excited about today and listening to Lockie Anderson with Jimmy Webster last week. Um, it was a fascinating insight. So we both feel that the pressure <laughs> to um, come up with something interesting.
1: Yeah, that was a really great one. So we'll see how we go. Hopefully we can uh, be just as good. I know you guys have um, just as interesting careers and stories to share. So just to start us off, I want to go in with something a bit lighthearted. Is there something that you have watched, read or listened to over isolation that you would recommend to the listeners? And I just want to quickly say, Wonsie, the 2020 grand final does not count.
2: Well it doesn't but I, I would say out of interest you know the we will get into sort of what you know some of my philosophies I guess around coaching but you know the enjoyment factor Richmond go on about it a bit and you hear Cochin talk about connection and, and and Hardwick and there's a guy called Ben Crow who's heavily involved with Richmond in the background and Ash Barty and he was actually his first job was working for Hockey Australia would you believe um, in marketing with Jason Richardson and um, you know, they were fun guys, but Ben Crow, to his credit, uh, went on to an interesting career at Nike and other places, and now here he is helping Richmond set up a, an environment to enjoy your sport, and I think, yeah, that's not completely unrelated, hopefully, to what we might be able to to keep working on developing at, um, you know, with the women's section. So, I think, you know, out of all that, uh, to answer your question from my point of view, the, the Richmond story, sorry <laughs> to go on, but is quite Can't relevant, a um, lot <laughs> yeah, look, watched lots of great stuff, a lot of good sports stuff. Um, nothing particular, obviously. People will all watch The Last Dance, and that was fascinating because I guess the Jordan era was—you um, know—was my era. Coming home on a Saturday afternoon to see him play was always pretty exceptional. And to watch your young kids now compare eras and who's better—all um, all you can deal with is who you see at the time. And um, you know, listening to the stuff on Martin at the moment, Dustin Martin. I guess Lee Matthews in Jeff and my time was probably the guy that seem to have the same dominance and presence but um yeah no, no i can't think of anything particularly i've watched lots of great series but um sporty ones i'm sure i'll think of anything you've watched jeff
3: not so much watched i guess um uh, it's more for me it's about uh discovering the world of podcasts um i've been really uh especially the campbell world ones but uh conversation um abc conversations and you know just that whole other world it's just uh yeah i found it really really enlightening and Part of walking, which I've had to sort of get into, because uh, you know, gym's now off the table. At some time, it'll, I guess, it'll re-emerge, hopefully. And uh, yeah, so that's been a real, real enlightenment for me. Real, very enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people have been uh, listening to a lot more podcasts recently uh, than they have in other years. So definitely, that's one that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Um, so. We'll get into a bit more of the hockey stuff now. How did you both find the change to 2020? Um, Obviously, not only personally, but you were leading a team and a new team in this environment. So how did you both find that? I guess, Jeff, we might start with you.
3: Look, I think we were, I felt, felt we were building momentum. We were, uh, I guess, coming pre-Christmas, we had, a I guess, an introductory group um, which Wansie drove and organised. We all got involved, uh, which I think was turned out really beneficial for some of the younger girls. Some of the junior girls came and experienced a little bit of uh, senior hockey and senior training, I guess, uh, a little bit of senior exposure pre-Christmas. Once we got into pre-season, look, I think, again, we, we built some momentum, but then it all came to a crashing halt. So that was the, you know, that an introduction to straight, Stage 3 restrictions, no hockey, uh, that, would, that was really challenging, really, really challenging, I felt. We achieved some good hockey at the point where we played uh, a round-robin match against uh, Mentone, Southern and KBH, and the girls did, I think, uh, quite well, and we showed that uh, we're certainly going to be competitive. And there was a lot of concern. There was a lot of discussion in the background about the group, uh, who we had, who we didn't have, and that had all settled down by that point. But then the greatest challenge came, all of a sudden, um, COVID. Um, so, yeah, I guess to that point, I, I felt that that uh, what the committee and the coaching group and and James and Nolene, um, uh, James Seath and his wife had brought that uh, strength and conditioning program in. Um, that was, you know, the girls had really responded well to that, had enjoyed it, actually looked forward to it. It became, you know, a solid part of our weekly routine. You know, we just came to this abrupt halt, which was really, really confronting, I guess. So, um, and then, you know, unfortunately, from a work pressure perspective, um, uh, I had to step away or step down slightly, and then then once he got involved, and I think then we we gathered momentum again. And I guess you know, he probably talked a bit more to that. But again, the challenge came. We had distancing rules. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do corners. We couldn't do all sorts of of contact type of of drills. So that was very challenging. But again, I, I think look to the girls' credit, there was a lot of change. I guess change from obviously new coach brings change expectations direction. Uh, I, I was very appreciative from my perspective. I think the girls took on board that challenge um, and uh, we embraced it. And uh, you know, I I can't I can't uh, I guess speak highly enough of that. And in the sense of, you know, they were looking forward to. And I think when you came in, live it was really good because you know there was another dimension came. You brought an, another level of intensity, similar to when LB and, uh, you know, Maz were there. It was it just raised that level of intensity. But, again, overall, I think super, super challenging. You know, constant change, constant readapting what we can do, what we can't do, what we were supposed to do coming in out of the ground was always, always a challenge, I guess.
1: Yeah, but it was definitely a, a bit of a week-by-week week thing and just turning up and whatever we were able to do on the day, just getting the most out of that. So... David, how did you find the change throughout the year? And obviously, as Jeff mentioned, stepping into that position um, once the season, well, I guess not season, but we were well into pre-season. And yeah, how did you find that change coming on board as the head coach?
2: Yeah, look, it was a really interesting period and it required lots of really great contributions. Someone like Sarah Conyers probably, you know, the presidents and administrators don't tend and, and her helpers on the committee don't get any of the acknowledge probably the time and the even the mental you know anguish because they're all keen for to 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 see us do well and and the results will be the results but actually just set up an environment that that is a positive environment around trying to get better around enjoying things and so that was challenging because um we'd lost people we'd lost players and it's very easy to lose a club's you know heart and soul but to the credit of lots of people and 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 certainly to the players, you know, we ended up getting to a stage, Jeff talked about momentum. I I thought it was – I was getting really excited, to be honest, and um, that's why it was um, disappointing because you could see the progress. You actually see the enjoyment. I think that when you're coaching, that's um, actually one of the measures. I'm probably not the most organised person, coach person, anything in life, and a lot of people will will be able to back that up. But there are a few things I sort of – in my unstructured life, I do really – I think – consistently draw on and and whatever groups I've coached I've always thought about trying to create an environment try to give some structure on how we play and focus on the important things so you know I think I eventually get there whether it gets the results is always the the angst and the joy and the fear in sport but it's it's a great great fun thing so I think we got our group to a stage where number one trying to get personnel and we had a whole mix of personnel Jeff touched on you know from youngsters from experience to Australian players and to see them all sort of come together with their own contribution, it was really important. Um, yeah, it's, people love to talk about other clubs and stars and, and stats, but I actually think it's getting a big, wide group. When I coached the Premier League men many years ago in 96, 98, 2000, I remember actually inviting down to the TAN, every player from every squad said, come down to pre-season. And people were just, what the hell are we doing here? We had 60 or 70, we had dogs, we had grandmas, we had kids running around the TAN. And uh, there was a lot of angst about that. And there were there were blokes in the threes or running past the Premier League guys uh, you know, on the fourth lap of the tan. And I remember thinking, this is fantastic, because apart from the club effect, it actually showed that there were sleepers in the thirds and the fourths that if they actually really wanted to have a crack, they might think, gee, I can actually do this. And there's a little bit of that, you know, that eventually you've got to sort out a squad and narrow it down, but it doesn't hurt to open the invitation for a whole lot of reasons. We had that um, and we ended up with a group um, yeah, we were juggling week to week different players for, for a few weeks there. But I think by the time we got to, um, you know, getting ready, uh, I think we had a squad there that was starting to look pretty um pretty good and they were training with terrific uh, intensity. And at the end of the day, you know, if you can train at intensity enjoyment, it's amazing how quickly improvement can come.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, as a player in that group, I definitely felt that positive energy and there was a really good feeling towards this season and everyone was speaking really positively about it everyone was really really excited it was almost like a refreshing like we had um, a new start and even with that transition you know going from Jeff as our um, head coach to Wansey, I mean obviously you were both still involved in both um, situations, But it was a very smooth transition. I mean, I think you guys and Sarah, everyone involved did a really great job with that, because in the group, I mean, there was no disruption at all. And um, yeah, everyone was really just stoked with how everything was going and really excited to get started. So it was obviously really disappointing that we never got to actually get started. But I'm sure um, coming back again next year, I think things will pick up where we left off. So that will be very exciting um, to see how that goes again next year. Um, and so I just want to know as well what you've found to be the biggest challenge outside of hockey this year with everything going on. So Wansi, I might start with you.
2: Uh, well Liv, in answer to your question, what's been the, the biggest challenge? I guess um, having inherited the job um, you know, from Neil, uh, originally Neil Hodgson, who I thought did an incredible job, the amount of time and effort um, to get to know the squad. He had a lot of different people coming through that team and, and James, obviously, in the reserves um, providing the support. So for me, whilst I'd watched a lot of the Premier League girls play, I, I really didn't know the girls individually that well. And I guess through COVID, that little period we did get together, I, I obviously got to know them better. Um, but that was probably the biggest challenge, just um, trying to work out what to focus on in those sessions. Um, yeah, you know, The really pleasing thing is there is just a great attitude. Um, now I think everybody came with a fresh you know, a fresh approach and, um, yeah, you know, sort of a clean slate and we're making some good progress. But really just a huge thanks to the work that James and, and Neil over a number of years had put in, the time and effort. And, um, you know, I was lucky in some ways. The easy part of just coming in to pick up, um, probably the matches ahead were always going to be the, in some ways, the bigger challenge than, um, you know, the, uh, the pre-season. But, uh, you yeah, know, so far so good and really exciting potential for um, 2021. I really can't wait to get stuck in right now is actually an interesting time and I'm sure the players have got their own thoughts and I'm certainly thinking and I'm not I'm not playing you're very concerned for youngsters for for everybody with sport generally across the community right now through this you know first time in lots of our lives that we we haven't had that routine and that comfort um and we've actually asked ourselves why do we play sport in a lot of ways and yeah, you know, it's quite confusing because I'm sure some people think oh well I can just I don't have to play sport if I don't want to and is it that important um And that's sort of the easy option. It's going to take a real challenge for clubs, people, individuals to make a conscious decision and maybe even be a bit sacrificial to say, well, I'm not sure if I really do, but gee, I'd love to see what I can do to help because community sport plays massive roles. You know, it's a bit cliched, but um, whether you're talking about, you you know, Tassie Community Cricket Team down in West Burnie or you're talking about Campbell at Matlock or Community Footy, I think we've all had a really... A big reflection time to, to work out why we do it and um, maybe we never thought about it we just turn up because that's what you do so i'm i'm you know concerned that that's a it's a, it's a stress that will we get it back um and it's going to require a, a conscious effort we have to make sure that things are fun you know the competition part will come but um i don't think most of us want to go back down to matlock next week and go through training of 10 people again I think we're keen to get back and play some sort of competition is my suspicion even if it's not the proper full-on Hockey Victoria if it's a a six a side if it's a mixed comp whatever it is the sooner we can do that and get people back down to the club enjoying hockey for what it is that's probably in my mind at the moment what we're thinking about and we'll worry about next season as we get sort of step at a time but um Obviously, all that's conditional on how quickly we, um, I won't go into my political views, but how quickly we can perhaps get back yes, to normal. Yes, we'll
1: keep this one uh, politics and religion and uh, sport team free. Um, but Jeff, so I know you're both quite involved with um, Campbell Hockey Club beyond just, you know, being coaches of the Premier League team. So um, can I just get you to talk a little bit about how you've you know stayed in touch or stayed connected with? people at the club or with, you know, Canberra Hockey Club in general um, and what things you're doing to, yeah, kind of um, still be a part of it all?
3: Well, look, I guess, I, you know, mine's probably a lot more restricted than once is, but uh, I've been really fortunate. I've, I've had a little bit of contact with Simon Winter. Got to say, I think we're extremely, extremely fortunate to have a guy of his calibre, um, such a fantastic all embracing, all people embracing person, and uh, he's uh, yeah, he's reached out and, and amazing. I don't know how many how many people he's spoken to, probably perhaps everybody. But uh, no, I've been very fortunate to to have that connection, and I think the the uh, the clubs' social media reach now, uh, especially with the podcasts, uh, the newsletter. You know, now we've got the raffle. Um, you know, it's all, it all keeps us connected, which, you know, the, the, that part of the, of the, uh, committee, I think has done an extraordinary job. The positivity that comes with that, um, and the messaging keeps us connected. So that, I guess that's the way I've felt connected and, you know, congratulations to everybody in that team. I don't know how you feel about that ones, but I guess you'll, you've got a little bit more direct contact with some of the guys as well.
2: Yeah, great comment, Jeff. Um I think the committee's been incredible because it takes some energy and people are dealing with all sorts of different things. I think Simon and and all the crew, you know, the different departments, as people the Steve Price and Sarah, as I mentioned, and Steve Louse and the juniors and uh, and even just all the volunteer helpers going back to those training sessions, you know, the people that want to come and do that, I think it's really special. We we we, we don't take it for granted, but it's um there wouldn't be many clubs in any sport that have got through this and and and, and you know, without being able to play and um and yet players themselves are still probably feeling really, you know, battling a bit with the lack of lack of physical contact. So I think the club's done yeah, clearly as much as it can. It's been a really interesting period. Even old players, you know, ex-players, the way they've done the, the step back and the women and men's side has been a great way to connect. So, you know, massive credit. And, um, okay, we've done all that. Time to get back on the pitch now, <laughs> get yeah. to the bar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think as well, I agree. The um, social media has been great and um, it's been very consistent, Um, they've been posting so much and obviously we had the Strava competition as well which was really good to see and you know even if you're not directly uh, communicating with a lot of the people at the club I mean of course a lot of people know who each other are so it's nice to be able to see just even what people are up to and what they're doing even if you're not having that you know direct one-on-one conversation Um, so there's definitely a sense of community
2: Liv, just on that Strava, sorry to jump in, on that Strava, I am concerned. I think it's a great time to to express some concerns here. I noticed on the <laughs> top 10, I mean, I'm, I'm my niece, Izzy Harris, I'm sure, was definitely penalising me. I should have been a lot higher. But I was concerned to see some rather obsessive, compulsive personalities. I thought I was pretty bad. But when I'm seeing Lockie Dreyer trying to outride... Lucky Gibson <laughs> trying to outride Phil Barrett, Sue Henderson. I mean, there's some seriously obsessive Oh, yes.
1: I know. Um, we'll just give a little shout out to Gemma here. She actually won the running for the final week, and I think she was pretty stoked about that. So she was on wow. top of um, Jimmy <laughs> Webster that week. So that's quite impressive.
2: Well, that's right. Once you sign up, you're in trouble because your public oh, yeah, there's information, no to hide. you become a... a you know, global.
1: Yeah. Athlete. No, there's nowhere <laughs> no to, hide. to hide. So, um, yeah, I definitely was a, a viewer, not a uh, participator in that one. But um, no, that was really good.
2: I got to say, it was a great. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, idea, wasn't it? The way it connected again, all. Yeah, people Yeah, that through was the club. really
1: nice. Um, and again, like such a simple idea, but you know, it's the sort of things that Campbell does. There's a lot of that going on, and it's really easy to yeah stay in touch and feel like you're still part of the community and even though the actual hockey isn't happening um it still feels like you know there's a real club culture this year um regardless which is really great because you know obviously Camberwell has always been um such an inclusive community and it's been such a great place to be even if you're you know not necessarily playing it's a great place to be on a Saturday afternoon anyway but I just want to talk a little bit about you know just going back to the preseason and um you know, the group you were working with. So, David, was there, you know, anything specific you were seeing in pre-season, um, some things that stood out to you that you noticed were really working well for the group? And um, likewise, what were the sort of changes you thought needed to be brought into the group?
2: Um, look, I think because it was a um, a period just bringing people together, the focus we had was trying to get – pretty much enjoyment back in by and my philosophy has always been whether coaching kids um, it's a little bit simple but but um, lots of game stuff where you know I haven't really come across a group ever that's not enjoyed playing games so long as there's some purpose and some learnings in those games and um, you know I'll draw on a bit of the boring history of what I learned along and I haven't definitely learned everything but I think I was really lucky in that I got exposed, I talk about it to add nauseum and I know people know I talk about this right now, but Mike Craig and Jim Irvine, I was very blessed to, it had lots of great coaches, Don Argus, Terry Walsh, Charlesworth over in Perth, but but Craig and Irvine were, were really interesting coaches because they were able to create an environment, um, not by yelling, by gene you up, but by the stimulation of learning and learning. Um, People often, I'll hear repetitively, and it sort of annoys me, but how important the basics are. I hear every coach say, you've got to get better at the basics. And I don't disagree, but I think it's massively overrated. I hear all the time. I hear all the programs. Um, I think really exceptional coaches, it's much more than basics. You, you have the basics. They're almost a given, getting fits given. But to actually get smarter at hockey and to to hurt other teams, to be smart in how you play is, to me, the real challenge. And I think you can, as a coach, when you've only got limited time with with a group, um, how you go about that is absolutely critical and you almost can't waste time in your sessions. To me, doing basics um, sounds crazy. I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. My view is if you play games and you learn in them, you're actually learning basics at the time. There is always time for basics. Go and do it some other time. Maybe at the end of a session, make the session longer, but I'm really keen with my sessions to make them Fun because there's games, there's learnings um, and they're game type learning. So whether it's switching the ball, whether it's tricking players, whether it's pressing better, um, trying to do those in game situations. You can't do it the whole session, but that is certainly my focus. And, um, you know, I think most times I've been involved uh, again, juniors, seniors, men having a bit of trouble with my summer vets team. They don't seem too coachable, but um, uh, the, the, the Premier League girls were, were terrific. They embraced it, and it is it is really the most exciting, fun thing when you're coaching to see players respond to it. And, um, again, Craig and Irvine, it didn't matter. You can have smart players in your team, you, and that's the reality. You're going to have all sorts of different types. Some can think, some can process, some can't. Some are limited, but the, the really smart, great coaches are able to to harness that and allow them to play to their strengths, but but they set up um, an environment where where it becomes clear what your role is and and how you play within that. So, um, look, that that was the, the I've answered it in a pretty mumbo jumbo way, but you know, that was where we were coming from. We we actually needed to spend some time as we got closer to games on a bit more structure stuff. Um, and 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 pressing and outlet him, but um, you know it was hard. Obviously, in the the way things still were still had up. a few
1: more things to get to, but unfortunately that got cut short. But Jeff, just with everything that I guess got thrown our way as we were preparing for the season, what was there anything that um, surprised you or stood out to you about how the players handled the challenges um, that were coming at them?
3: I think principally their willingness to to just go with the flow. Uh, we are not saying go with the flow. We we had a change. Uh, you know the the you know the government would would uh, place another restriction. We would we were able to train, but no one else was allowed to train on the ground. We adapted to that. You know we had to as coaches we had to modify drills. Um, you know the girls embraced that. And I guess look, it's easy to say that uh, well that would be an ex- expectation, but I think. You know, when you have a positive, yeah, you know, positive energy in a group and everybody willing to strive forward, I think that that to me was the most surprising thing. We had very, very little pushback, very little questioning. I think there's a couple of times we uh, we might have pushed the boundaries in relation to closeness, and the girls sort of raised the concern about the uh the contact in some of the some of our game situation but look i, I think that's uh, to me was the most surprising thing i guess if they had taken the worst case scenario type aspect um a lot of them perhaps could have made the choice either not to come or, or sit out the sidelines or walk off and drill but no, none of them did that everybody embraced that um so that to me was the most surprising thing and i guess as as sports people, um, you know, we we, uh, we 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 all want to move forward. We all want to get better. We want to improve. And one's has touched on that in relation to the learning aspect. But um, I think I don't think you can underestimate the risk, um, and that played on a lot of people's minds. I think if you look at, uh, we had a couple of discussions um, post um, trainings uh, with Sam Daly, who is a doctor. And you know, Sam expressed some real concerns and I guess brought every everybody within the group back to reality in the relation to to being just just the awareness around the risk um that we're all facing. So um yeah, I look from from the, the girls' perspective, um I think yeah, that was the most most surprising thing for me. There was their willingness to embrace it.
1: All right, very good. Um so I just want to move on to now, I guess, uh your playing and coaching careers a bit more broadly, so uh, beyond this year, because they are quite impressive. So, um, Bonsie, I'll get you to start off. Can you just tell us a little bit more generally about yourself and uh, why you like coaching? Um,
2: Yeah, look, I guess... The number one reason is to stop me being the most annoying <laughs> parent on the sideline uh, when I'm not controlling things. So as the women have heard me on the sideline and junior coaches, um, it, is, it is amazing. I think I might be wrong here. We always delude ourselves a bit. But when I coach, I'm actually remarkably calm. Um, kids mightn't agree with that. But I, I actually think I am mainly perhaps about control. I'm not sure I am a control freak. But I certainly feel more comfortable when you're coaching, you're uh, watching, trying to actually observe and work out what you can add to the conversation. But on the sideline as a parent, I get a little bit worked out. I, I did go for my, one of my walks last night with about 10 minutes to go in the grand final, which I have been known to do in hockey grand finals when I'm a spectator where I can't watch. Um, Jimmy Webster and a few others might remember, <laughs> I during a few Premier League grand finals, I went to a bit of a wonder. And uh, I did go through the lonely streets of Kew last night, which my daughter was really aware was I. I won't go any further, it's a bit embarrassing, but... That that sums it up really. Um, but look, I, I love the coaching. Whether it's been the juniors, the kids, to see them love playing sport. I mean, it's the, we just undersell how great hockey is. It, it's it's amazing when a family that hasn't played the sport before, yeah. they're not a hockey family, come along and we get that at Camberwell, and they come away and they go, wow, what a, what a great sport. And it's we think it's different to footy because footy's on TV. It, it's got all the same things. You, you've got to win the you've got to win the hockey ball. You've got to pass it properly. You've got to look after your teammate. You've got to not let your teammate down, you've got to do it. it it's the same sport. It, we, we sell ourselves short. It's um, And our Australian athletes, when you watch them on the world stage, are, are world-class. They stand alongside anybody else. So, you know, it, it's, it's great to be involved, coach, um, whether it's kids, whether it's the women now for the first time. For me, and people said, oh, it's different, what have you. Well, you know, my short stint um, doing it, I, I, yeah, there will be some differences, but what doesn't change is your responsibility as a coach to try to create an environment where they can learn, I've got to get there's lots of things I've still got to get better at as a coach it's putting good people around me to clean up the mess at times you know but I love um, having I guess been fortunate to be coached as I mentioned before by lots of great people you feel a uh, an obligation to pass some of that on um, if you can sort of pass on half of it uh, you, you know I had just had this incredible experience as a player really to experience all the things I did um, from a kid to a to a you know international player I was just fortunate and um uh so that that's that's the I guess the motivation um and you get massive rewards the um 98 2000 premiership teams we had reunions um recently the Camberwell men's that we coached and not dissimilar situations to what we were facing with the girls where we had a I guess a squad that was probably you know, understated in terms of big names and it needed everybody to contribute and we achieved some some special things i'm sure jeff's got some stories because the tassie story is an amazing story hopefully you get a chance to hear it in a minute what they've done in hockey for how many years um to continue to in terms of compete produce australian players but um when you coach and you've got a challenge and bringing a group together and they achieve something it's um Yeah, we will
1: get onto that, Jeff, in just a minute. But before that, is there um, anything you want to share about um, why you enjoy coaching so much?
3: I I guess, look, I I think it's, you know, the power of team, uh, once you just touched on it, and and it's not always, you know, there's the old adage about uh, champion team will always be the team of champions. Um, And I think that I've been part, uh, part of those groups both as a player and a coach, and it's really, really exciting. It's just something that um, it's so powerful and so enjoyable to be a part of. And, um, you know, the connections you have with those fellow players can last lifetimes. Um, it's great to hear that, that uh, um, you know, those successful teams that Juan's just touched on, you know, in the late 90s, you know, there, there's a great example of it. Here we are 20 years later, 20 plus years later and and the guys are still enjoying that and you know that's the thing that really drives me and to see and and uh, see individuals grow from a coaching perspective and how those individuals grow and then combine into a team that that challenge is the part that I really enjoy as coach as a coach uh, and being part of a coaching group I think you know just reflecting back to some of the uh, some of the old playing days for me, I can remember very very vividly playing against. I was probably at the end of my career when Wonty first started playing, and uh, we went through the transition from grass to turf. And we call it turf because we as Astroturf. Anyway, it uh, I I vividly have a memory of a game out at it uh, at, at the hockey centre when the Tassie team had come over and we were playing against. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure Wanzi and Jimmy Irvine were playing, and um, I would copped a, a hit on the hand from a from a uh, quite a quite a mid height through ball from Jimmy that uh, was perhaps meant for somebody else, and I actually copped it. And then uh, um, it, it was a very very interesting game, and I'd I'd uh, I'd marvelled at uh, some of the uh, creativity that, that Wanzi was starting to show as a midfielder. So. Yeah, I mean, from a coaching and playing perspective, you just love the game. It's great to be a part of it. It's great to see that individual uh, growth in players. That's the thing that I really enjoy being a part of um, helping uh, helping players grow, helping players learn. And I think you know I'm a little bit different to ones in the sense of I think that I don't think we have enough training time. Um, I think there. I totally agree with the game part of it, but I think um, there's so much to be gained in some personalities for repetition of skills when you when you have the opportunity ex- to, to execute things regularly and someone can stand by you and watch and just adjust and hone I think they're the times then when you can pull it back perhaps uh, when I may pull it back pull the skill back and allow that allow a little bit of diagnosis into where improvements can be made and then move forward again so We've talked about training times at time, you know the amount of time we have on turf. Um, I'd like to see it increase by half an hour so at least at least we have that opportunity. It might be leave you go in and do some, uh, some deflect, just some deflections in front of goal perhaps or what, whatever it is and we can combine some some, some other um, uh, I guess skill drills that, that would finish off with that. Yeah, it gives everybody that opportunity to to do repetition, and I think is a, a really important aspect of player growth, especially the younger developing players. Because in reality, we don't all have that that um, uh, I guess luxury of being able to just cruise down to the ground when we feel like it, because of you know this such a big club, and we have very little free time. Uh, something that perhaps can be debated at another time. But, uh, you know, I think it's really, really important that we don't forget that.
2: I was going to say, Jeff's comment about the basics, I I sort of made that comment a little bit um, naughtily or controversially, but I I actually think that basics, you know, more time spent on them, you know, it made me reflect a bit. And as kids growing up in, in our era, we were out in the street playing all sorts of sport, and I wonder if kids are spending as much time and not getting those basics, whether it's cricket, tennis, playing footy in the street that we, we did for, for reasons like the, the phone and technology now. So that, that'll be interesting to look forward whether, um, you know, we're getting – and, you know, unless kids these days probably are getting it through the structured swimming lessons or tennis lessons, um, they're probably not doing as much repetitive stuff. So it'll be uh, interesting one to reflect. I've also just got to quickly – check uh, live on Jeff's um, comment about the grass game of hockey I'll just quickly mention a story in 1985 a national championship down at Hobart those that have been played hockey down in Hobart at the Cornelian Bay and it was my first nationals and I really not sure what I was doing there I was making up the numbers but this was on grass and it rained a lot in Tassie not surprising cut a long story short the final Victoria somehow got through and knocked off WA in a semi when Neil Snowden, the Victorian goalkeeper, saved about 30 penalty corners and we undeservedly got through, although I wouldn't tell any Western Australian that, but we got through to the final against Queensland and it was televised on ABC Sunday afternoon at two o'clock on live Sunday afternoon TV in those days in (laughs) colour. And I I don't know what position I played, but for some reason, I think Charlie Gillen, a friend of all of ours, a Tasmanian, was playing Victorian. He was injured. I think he'd done a shoulder, if I remember correctly. So I had to play centre-forward. And in those days, you did a bully to start the game. So there I was on ABC, big moment for an 18-year-old. I don't think I'd ever played centre-forward. Not sure what. I was there doing a bully to start the game down in Tassie, had footy boots on because it was just a mud heap. And it was on, you'd think, you know, the clean synthetic turf of today this was a mud heap in tassie um it could be a beautiful ground but it was the wrong day and uh i think it was the only time i touched the ball in the game all my mates that were watching sort of saw me to start and that was about it but um so there's, yeah, there's my grass yeah. story jeff well it was
3: actually uh, uh i can remember one of the uh, australian coaches at the day saying that um whoever invented uh, synthetic turf uh, must have been a Ford because it was a defender's nightmare, you know, coming out of that transition of, of grass where we were so affected by the weather um, and, and I think it, in, to a certain extent it held hockey back in the southern states, perhaps Victoria and, and um, Tassie especially because, if you, you know, if you had a period of wet weather, well, the grounds were almost unplayable and, you know, it didn't allow for good skills. But uh, you know that transition into the synthetic turf has just changed that completely. So, an actual, actual factor, uh, the a um, little bit of back history to that uh, to that tournament, the um, we had a uh, an innovative council parks director at that point in time who, about ten weeks prior to the championship, decided he was going to lay an instant turf across uh, for that particular field that we played on and. This is actual grass instant turf, so we were plagued with the, uh, the worry that some of the sections weren't going to take, and unfortunately they didn't. Uh, that just didn't add to any good conducive uh, hockey went, so we got a, a decent dose of rain.
2: Well, I had the kids down there a couple of years ago at Cornelian Bay on the, on the grass, just out the back when the, the tournament was going yep. on at the national championships, and the two young ones having a bit of a hit on the grass, and I was trying to slap the ball on grass. How, how did you play on this stuff? And this was actually a nice piece of grass at that time, and I just it and said,
1: I can't explain it. Yes, we are very fortunate we uh, don't know what that experience is like. But, I mean, I'm sure it only uh, made you guys better players. And I do just want to move into now talking a bit more. I know you've already both touched on it a bit. Can you explain in a bit more depth both your playing and coaching careers and what they've consisted of? And, um, like, they're both quite impressive, so please do not be modest, but I'll just get, um, Wansie, you to start us off. Can you just tell us a bit about... No, no, um... no, let me
3: start. Let me start because yeah. I'm going to be, like, let's build up to this.
1: <laughs> oh, don't sell yourself short, Jeff. That well, no, no, I, I just... Well, I'm looking at some pretty impressive statistics in front of me, but please, yes, share with the group.
3: Started off in Tassie. And look, back in the seventies uh, in Tassie, um, uh, unfortunately we weren't blessed with so many good coaches, but you know, guys that were, were very encouraging and very enthusiastic and played in a number of junior teams and under twenty one teams in Tassie and, and led had the opportunity to lead and captain the under twenty one team on several occasions, uh, the state team, and then when it moved into seniors, played for I think ten or eleven years at the senior level for Tassie. As I said, I, I was probably on on the, sort of my last part of playing when Wansie first came in um, from a Victorian perspective. Yeah, so look, um, that that was that was a, a really enjoyable experience to play at the national level. From a Tasmania perspective, in those days, we, given the grass hockey base, we were always um, we always struggled to, to really compete, and I often share the story of of uh, playing a game against Victoria, for example, would be like playing a grand final. That was the sort of level that we had to to reach on a game by game basis to, to really be competitive. It was a, it was a real challenge at the senior level, and unfortunately, we you know from a Tasmania perspective, that back in those days we and I guess probably even a re- re- bit reflective in uh, this time, the depth of players we didn't we didn't have the consistency and depth, and it was yeah always a struggle in that space. But however, look you know it was very very enjoyable to to and very I was feel very fortunate that um, I had that opportunity to represent the state for for that period of time.
1: Yeah, it is very impressive.
2: Tassie produced a lot of very good players in your and still yeah, do.
3: exactly. And, and uh, you know, I can name a few. You, know, you mentioned before um, Charlie Gillen, who's actually my brother-in-law. And I think, look, that's a little bit that you touched on before, Wansie, about the family aspect of hockey. The, the story from my perspective was um, I ended up marrying um, Charlie's sister, we had, um, you know, we had that connection. That's how that's how we met, and then we had family. And my, and of course, you, your family plays hockey, and it's it is such a family sport. And and even now, you know, my own son is is married into Campbell. I guess you could say in in one way, um, which is lovely. And you know, now they've they've got they're building their own family. Twin girls, and hopefully one day that they'll be playing. Uh, the, the girls will be playing and enjoying part of the of the uh, Camberwell atmosphere and hockey in general. So I'm sorry to take it off on a tangent, but I think that's a part that that is really I, I think it's a lovely part of the sport. And the fact that you can then go on and continue to play right the way through into masters. And I know there's been a great ethos with I, I had the the, the the great fortune to be able to play with my son down in the lower grades with. Um, Doug Watson and and Mince and a few of those guys and we played with our sons and and younger guys coming through and it was a, a great that was another really enjoyable part of of being with with Campbell to be able to share that playing with your family. There's not too many sports that that um, you know you can compete at Olympic level, represent your state, and and then you know play to to, uh, I guess, veteran or, or masters, as we call them, master stage now where, um, uh, yeah, that you can enjoy all the facets, so family, hockey, um, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry I will yeah, take well, it off at a bit of a tangent, but I think that's a really important part of an aspect of a game. And, I see, you, you, and like Wansi said, you, you see so much of that in the club. Families come in, then there's connections made arguably for lifetime.
1: Yeah, no, well, um, you've actually just touched on what I was going to ask you next, which was what it means to you to be a coach at Camberwell specifically. But before as well, if you want to say anything more, I just, um, I think you've saw yourself a bit short, Jeff. I Can I get you to talk a little bit more about your coaching achievements? Because I'm not sure if everybody knows, but I um, I know you've coached at Waverley, um, the women's Premier League team. You've also done Hawthorne and you were the coach of Caulfield Grammar when they had that amazing run winning nine premierships. Have I got that right?
3: Yeah, look, that was a really enjoyable time. It I was like a uh, the structure was like a small hockey academy. There was a, a scholarship program that the school ran. I was very, very fortunate to be a part of that. We had a great structure and some great people behind it. You know, we had a great evolution of, of um, younger players coming in and great success. I think, you know, over a nine-year period, we might have lost one or two games in nine years, uh, which is an incredible record.
1: Uh, yes, I just want to jump in here and a uh, bit of a shameless shout out, uh, Sophie Taylor, Laura Varden. And I am trying to think of anybody else from Campbell. We actually did beat you one year. It was the last year you won the premiership. We beat you in the last game. I was in year seven. I remember oh, okay. it very clearly. Yeah,
3: yep, ah, just so scraped in. Go. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. I didn't realise you were part of that lib. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, just right.
1: scraped in. I just jumped on. No, that's okay.
3: That's a good I mean look, it's not a it's not all about the winning. I mean the, the one of the things we, we were able to achieve, we had um, year seven and eight girls. Coming in um, and playing, and you know the 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 capacity and the, our our depth to, to introduce those girls in an unpressured environment. Bring them on, bring them off, talk to them, coach them, um, and they all all just all just wanted to learn and wanted to absorb. And you know, it was just a, a really good environment. And you know, the Forsyth sisters came through. We had. Uh, lots of really, really good players. Claire Messent, um, Stacia Joseph. So, you know, these girls went on and played for Australia. So, you know, it was it was a really, really good environment, and and yeah, I was very fortunate to be a part of the of the school and and the um, and that that group of school guys that were involved in in the recruiting and the support, and yeah, that was really really fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think anybody that is familiar with um. APS Sport understands that that is quite an achievement to win nine premierships that is like almost unheard of so that is like a very very impressive achievement um, and then Wanzi I just get you to jump in here now and then talk a bit about just going back to your um, playing and coaching careers and share some of your highlights from that time.
2: Um, yeah before I do that I should Mentioned Jeff there. I am concerned. I, I heard a rumour there was only one family in Tassie. I'm now convinced that rumour is true. <laughs> <laughs> is oh, oh, like I'm going to get into a really, scar on really the next stories <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, look, Liv, uh, in terms of my career, I guess, sick of, um, not sick of talking about it, but um, it's a bit, you get old and you don't really want to. But look, the, the, the probably the interesting bits may be that I grew up in a court... Um, in in Blackburn in a court where every night after school we'd or before school at lunchtime or whatever we'd play sport and funny enough there's some people at the club um, talking about families in that court Bruce Phillips and the Davrain brothers who played at Thames for a while as well Um, the Hancock Rob Hancock still plays in the Summer Vets was my next door neighbour Andy Hancock that might have been my father's influence so and there were neighbours around, um, this is, you know, 15 minutes away, 20 minutes away from Camberwell. Yeah, and this little court produced 20 or so players at the club that are still having influence. And that was probably as good a ground as you could have, um, playing every night and plenty of basics, lots of games at night. Um, and that's where it all started, I guess, when I was, you know, went down and played. Under-12s was the first time you could play junior hockey. I think I was five. Maybe had a run around by accident when the team was short. I still remember at Wattle Park, my grandmother... Uh, after I might have knocked a couple of goals in against Powerhouse in a wheel-bottom ladder, they were top, and she gave me 20-cent coin to go to the canteen at Wattle Park, which was a great canteen, and get a milkshake, and 20 cents was probably like 20-buck note um, these days. <laughs> so, they're the important things in playing careers. Um, that was probably about as much as I ever got paid in my uh, hockey career. That was the start and end of my professional payment. Um, yeah, so then I guess I... Uh, Jumped into some junior teams Dave Cashmere was a a state rep with me In some junior teams But I actually didn't develop Um, You know, 16 and some of the kids Started to play in the Premier League And I really didn't grow till I was about year 12 I missed a couple of teams along the way As I was so small um, And really went to the AIS when I was 18 And started to physically develop and uh, i guess from there with a bit of training a couple of times a day at the ais thing started to to happen and um you know, i had, a, had a, a really incredible experience lots of great friends and for me it was as much you know the 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 personal accolades and whatever stuff along the way of being lucky enough to play around the world was great the friendships and the fun and the, the wins the losses were the the journey um were the stuff that you look back on and feel privileged and probably the reason it's still bother to go along on a Monday night to some events because you enjoy having a beer and a laugh and a pretend you can still do some good things amongst all the bad things <laughs> but um yeah had, had an amazing time had some you know, really lucky coaches um that, that, I, that I had I've mentioned a few times that clearly you know inspired I was far from you know I was probably a talent hockey player but certainly needed lots of help to get organized to you know as much of the time you're under real pressure you, you control yourself there are times when I had you know some behavioural issues, and um, probably you know look back. And if you talk about regrets and things, had some of those. But I guess that's all part of the the journey. You're not robots. It does make me again look at Dustin Martin and think how remarkable he's been, because people would expect that sort of personality to um, potentially go the other way. He must have had some help, as I'm sure he has, uh, whether it's meditation, other things, to get to where he's got to. So um, yeah, look, it's funny as you think about your sport and now with kids playing you reflect back but had a a great career I guess Um, you know traveled the world went to lots of weird countries to play um, you know everywhere through Europe, South America, um, Asia. The other day one of the podcasts I did with Shabazz who's the greatest player I ever saw and ever played against um, you know that was pretty fun to do a a podcast with him Um, I don't think it came through on the podcast but uh, at the very start of it we were talking with the video on and his son answered on his laptop I had a nice chat with him. And um, so at the very end of the podcast, here's, um, you know, here's Pakistan's possibly greatest athlete alongside Imran Khan, um, got his laptop and walked downstairs into his trophy basement and uh, and and grabbed my son Campbell to, to go through it with him on, on the laptop. It was pretty cool. Wow. So, yeah, they're things that when you start playing and make a team, you don't think are going to happen. Is there
1: um, a trophy basement in your house so you'd be able to take us to or...? Uh,
2: back to my disorganised status, COVID that was going to be a um, a thing I have so much stuff that's uh, damaged and destroyed and uh, I did actually win, it's a terrible thing to say but I did win disgraceful to admit but in 1997 I'd just been dropped, the only reason I mentioned it, I'd been dropped from the team before the 1996 Atlanta Olympics I may have suggested to a coach you could do things differently <laughs> um, so a few of us missed out on going to Olympics which was a reasonably traumatic time in one's life but um, I came back into the team thankfully Terry Walsh picked me again and yeah, there was question marks whether I was finished and good enough and all that horrible stuff. And don't worry about personal stuff too much. But I did win the um, uh, the Champions Trophy um, tournament in Adelaide. I won the player of the tournament, which was the best six teams in the world, which was a nice thing to win. And um, actually, um, I'd broken my hand the day before the final. So I played with an injection in a broken hand. Uh, and that caused me oh. to drop the trophy that night having a beer. So um, that trophy never never uh-huh. been perhaps fixed.
1: <laughs> it all adds to the story. That's that
2: big one with hand. a you know
3: like Up the, the massive, big, heavy-looking one too, isn't it? Is that the Champions Trophy? Uh,
2: that's actually the that's the tournament. Yeah, that's the tournament trophy. That that's got yeah. some stories <laughs> as well, which I may have told before. But that one did sleep one night at the Hard Rock Cafe. It went missing, and a couple of years later, we it's it's that a seventy thousand dollars sterling <laughs> silver trophy, and it may have also slept. I think those. that read an article I wrote many years ago, or a couple of years ago in the Age. I did tell the story where living in Richmond with a fellow Camberwell player Greg Reid, who's currently going through a pretty tough time. Um, we did share a house in Richmond, and I may have forgotten that I actually took the trophy home from the airport, um, having won the, this world title, um, and the manager stupidly gave it to me to look after. I left it in the esky on the front porch of a house in Richmond, where the break-in rate was probably about four houses a week in, um, in our street at the time. But it, it was there for three months before Hockey Australia... Called me up and said, "I think you might have the trophy," and I said, "I think you're right." I'd <laughs> oh so, i would forgotten.
1: Mean, true story.
0: There's
2: a yeah, few as more. As long of those. as you, uh,
1: I guess, got the photos before anything broke. That's all that matters, you know. Um, yeah, but uh, live, that's right. So, just speaking um, about you know your playing careers, um, what advice now looking back would you give you know players who want to get better?
3: Look, I, I think to me, any good young player, when I say good, any any young player. Become a greater student of the game. That's number one. Number two would be to, to really have the foundation of good fitness and work on your fitness so that, you know, I, you know, I think Wansie's made this great reference this year that, that um, fitness is the easy part. I think that's probably an underestimation because I think some people with great skill often struggle with fitness. To give an example, my brother-in-law, uh, Charlie Gillen, he was um, a phenomenal player, an awesome player um, in Tasmania, and but his fitness level was never there because that was something that he was never motivated by because he didn't have to be fit um, to be able to make the representative teams. Now, he moved to Victoria and I think he tells a great story that uh, he rolled up to training and... And the coach, I can't remember which coach it was, but said to him, well, you know, perhaps if you get fit, we might consider you and turned and walked away. And that devastating delivery changed him. He realised then that he had to get fit. And I think that's something that that um, any young player needs to, you know, in their arsenal. If you, if you are fit and your fitness level is up there, then the skills and, and the learning and the team strategies, you can embrace it and work towards that next level. That would be the key thing for me, student of the game. You really work on your fitness and, and then devote some time to developing your skills.
2: I'd just add to Jeff's I agree entirely with, with Jeff's comments. The fitness one's interesting too because what it does you know, when you get super fit, it's amazing how much more confident you are to in the game. You don't second guess or doubt or get to a contest and you can execute when your legs are tired. It's an amazing game how when your legs get tired, As the game goes on, you can't quite make a trap or make a pass. And um, it just gives you a sense of confidence, there's no doubt the fitness. So yes, it's the easy part, but if you don't have it, the game's very hard. I was gonna add one little thing to that, leave in terms of answering that question. Um one thing I've helped kids with and and adults is is to is to break the game down into one or two things, you know, in, in your job in a game, and 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 it might be an attacking thing and a defensive thing, just to simplify You know, We've all got to do 50 things in a game, but if you can just break down one or two, and they're important things, it might be as an inside forward, you've got to get the ball more during a game. Or what you do with the ball, have one or two passes to really just get really good at. That can give you a reference point. So at halftime, you come back and say, am I getting the ball enough? How am I actually passing? Am am I getting that one pass at right half to the inside right that I need to? So it's a great way to simplify things. People say, keep the game simple. That's a practical way you can do it. It doesn't mean you don't look at other passes, but Colin Batch was the absolute artist at that. He was the greatest player I think I saw, I played with in terms of learning, watching him be coached by Craig and Irvine. He was the most difficult player to play on, his ability to, to lead, to get the ball, his preparation to get the ball. He just did all his training around. He did virtually very little basic skill training. He couldn't dribble the ball around a cone, but he was one of the greatest players I ever played with because he was... He'd worked out if I can get the ball a lot. And so he did lots of work with connections. So Jim Irvine that Jeff mentioned before and Batch would just train the whole time on connecting, connecting, connecting. Um, And then when he got the ball, Colin Batch, he had one or two passes that he was trying to manipulate and set up the player. He didn't worry about the 50 passes that were going across his vision. He just worked on one or two and he became so good at those. And the players around him knew that. So um, the connection stuff, breaking down the game to one or two things, I just sort of add to Jeff's comments. And, um, yeah, look, I think that's, that's what you learn. And I guess there's the game has changed, but those th- things still yeah. remain.
3: Can I just jump in there? I love it. I've got to give a, a little analogy there. I, I spent a lot of time at fullback with Colin Batch in front of me trying to contain Colin, and he had a, an amazing ability to trap at inside right on his reverse outside of his body, um, and, of course, Jimmy would obviously be, you know, a lot of the times be delivering that ball at, at serious speed. So he'd be coming across from centre or, or, or left back across to, to um, Colin, and he had that amazing ability to, to, to trap the ball, and you couldn't see it. He, he Actually, his body would protect it, so he actually was trapping the ball almost behind himself on his reverse so having to so that I guess back in those days one of the the key things for our uh, us as defenders was to try and you know the uh, you know the old adage of a player is at their weakest at the moment they receive the ball so it was really you know that was our and you of know, course that's changed a lot now but back in those days it was a key focus to try and and win or or intercept or, or put pressure in that situation no way in the world could. uh you know, with uh, Colin's ability to trap on the reverse. Um, yeah, it was just amazing.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty impressive skill. Um, maybe we can work on that one for next season in our team. Um, wouldn't mind having that one.
3: Perhaps we can get um, Colin but, along to training. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, he could be our next um, specialist coach. <laughs> Um, so David, I know Jeff briefly mentioned before a bit about, um, you know, what it means to him to, um, be a part of Camberwell and that sort of that family, um, aspect, um, and being a part of the masters and everything. Um, I think the listeners would be interested to hear from you, uh, what it means for you to coach at Camberwell. And obviously you've been a part of this club for a very long time and your family is very well integrated. So I'd just love you to speak, um, a bit about, what it's like for you, what it means to you, and um, specifically coaching women, and um, in particular your daughter as well.
2: Look, I think in terms of you know what what it means, it's 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 a family thing that my father and, and, and mum you know was involved too. But you know, dad always was just such a selfless person. I guess um, that's probably where it's come from. And you know, he, he's had some lovely accolades recently as life member, which is terrific because he never really sought those. So that was quite. Yeah, you know, lovely thing to happen for the whole family. And um, you know, he was really nicely chuffed by that. So it was that was great. Um anyway, and, and lots of just great family friends and people down at the club. So it's a the fact that the club's going so well is probably you know what it means is is nice to see that's been worthwhile, that it continues on through generation and systemically and structurally it's in good shape and there's so much it's, so, it's such a better club now in so many ways. You mentioned it about its community involvement and diversity. So that's fantastic. Um, in terms of coaching the women and, and my daughter, um, look, I think it's about hoping to see them do things well and as best they can and watching the men and how impressive the men have been for a number of years and Rosie Anderson's clearly been the guy recently and obviously others have followed on, Katie and now Lockie with that challenge, but to see the women also who have done some really great things over the years, but to give them that same you know hope and direction, that's what it means. Um, you know, In terms of my daughter, well, I, I guess I coached her a little bit in the state sides and it's um, it, it all it does is reinforce it. You just hope you don't treat her any differently. She would probably think that I definitely don't and, um, you know, uh, doesn't enjoy it. So at some point, it's probably not preferable that I do, but um, it hasn't been, hopefully, an issue, certainly not from selections. But, you know, she needs to um, just play like anybody else and hopefully enjoy it. And as she gets older and more mature and her friends become, you know, friends around that group, that'll take away, hopefully, um, you know, my connection or, or degree of it. Um, but, you know, look, I, I just wanted to get involved with the women to see that um, it would keep going forward. Um, if I can help in some way in that regard, then that was the, the drive, the motivation. And and then hopefully we can set something up so we get, it's a place that people want to come to, to help, whether it's players, coaches, um, and, and keep it going. Because I think it's worth doing. It's it's um, If we can get the buy-in from the players, you can see how much fun it can yeah, be. Yeah,
1: definitely. And, um, Jeff, I just want you to speak quickly about what you find to be the hardest or most challenging part about being a coach.
3: I guess um, my own expectations is the biggest challenge that I have. I always put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, to ensure that the team performs well, to ensure that all the, the many moving parts Um, that require you know corners defense attack strategies structures uh, outletting happiness within the group um, positive energy uh, conflict management Um, I guess they're all the things that that come together to that pressure I guess that's the thing that I struggle most with but look whilst you struggle with it um, it's always it can also be the most rewarding as well so yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you feel about that, Wans, but, you know, to me, you know, you want the best for them and that, that's what comes from, from the, 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 the double-edged sword of coaching.
2: Yeah, I think from my point of view, it's that the skill of empowering players to learn themselves rather than to tell them how to play and it's hard. It's, um, you know, I think the, the coaches that can empower clearly produce better groups and better outcomes, not just for hockey, but for life yeah. too, I yeah, So
1: just um, finally, um, I want to just quickly talk about, uh, I guess, going forward, so hopefully what will be the 2021 season. David, could you just quickly um, give listeners an idea on what your vision is for the Women's Premier League next year and what you're hoping to achieve?
2: Um, look, I think you know, whilst we're still in the midst of all the COVID stuff, it's really hard to get specific training plans up and running without sort of causing angst again but you know if things go normally and we have a pre-season then I think it's getting our squad you know back together setting some more specific we actually be a bit more planned this year because our our prep was a bit unplanned and um, you know get our squads together and really emphasize for our squads what, what the year is going to be about in terms of the, the hockey I think we have to be a bit innovative and make it a bit more fun even, um, the, the training. And if we're just going through the same old thing, there'll be some people that will be struggling with, do they reconnect? So that's going to be the number one focus to get people reconnected. Um, in terms of the actual hockey then, I think we've got to, clearly Jeff talked about the fitness and the basics. We're going to have to take that to another level if we really want to challenge. Um, but I think that's exciting. Um, I think certainly... Um, you know, player personnel-wise, where we were in June, we are starting to get there. And yes, we'd lost some, but we'd gained some others. And I think there's huge opportunities for those that are really keen and enthusiastic. And I think in that little time we had, I think we've got a taste that, um, you know, individual players can go to new levels. Um, and the group can certainly do that. So I think the, the vision and the challenge for next year is to is to go to new levels result-wise, but enjoyment-wise and learning-wise. Yep, yeah, that
1: sounds awesome. And, Jeff, I'll just ask you one last question before we wrap up. If you were um, to talk to the playing group for 2021, I know it's hard because obviously there's a lot of unknown at the moment, but um, what would you like like to say to them? What would your messaging be? And, um, yeah, the takeaways you've had from this year.
3: Look, I think the, the number one message is take that um, the positives from this year that we're able to achieve and and bring it to bring it to the table straight away, bring in new levels of, of commitment. Um, you know that, that that to me would be the two key things. I think we really really achieved some some good positivity and some really good culture and enjoyment around our hockey. Um, and obviously, um, you know, Wansi's involvement uh, had a big impact in that space as well. And I think let, let this year go by. It, it is what it is. Um, there's a lot of stops and starts, a lot of changes, but let, let's embrace what we can and, um, you know, bring, bring what we've achieved this year to the table straight away and some, some renewed commitment levels to fitness would be, I guess, the, probably the third thing that I'd say. Uh, that, that would I'd, I'd really like to see that uh, because that's exciting from a coaching perspective um, that can really take our game to the next level.
0: you've been listening to the camberwell hockey podcast we'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team our guests and you the listener for your support if you enjoy the show please give us a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts this show is recorded and produced by camberwell hockey club in melbourne australia if you have any feedback comments or questions please find us on twitter at camberwell_hc, hc or see more information on our website amberworld.com See you next week.
2: Challenge. Can we yeah, up? yeah I was about Reagan. to say, uh, any
1: girls listening out there who are striving for Premier League 2021, download the app. It's time to start.